0: Welcome to the Baseball America Podcast. Coming
1: to you from the Baseball America Podcast, nook. Controls your throwing strikes. Command is you're hitting
0: the spot. That's stupid. I'm sorry. I'm going to rant about this again because that's just stupid, John. It is stupid. This is so ridiculous I'm tired of it I'm tired of it if he was in the home run Derby I'd put him out of the decent
1: chance of winning it against the big leaders surprised you could even hear us over the din of Ronnie McCabe's tape gun here we
0: go in three two one play ball
1: welcome everyone to a baseball America podcast along with Aaron Fit I'm John Manuel I want to remind you that You can visit Demarini.com to see the 2014 lineup of Demarini BB Corbats, including the CF-6 with D-Fusion Handle Technology. Visit Demarini.com for that. Aaron, you're going to be headed to Omaha this week for the uh, 2014 College World Series, which is played at TD Ameritrade Park, Omaha. And we also want to uh, thank TD Ameritrade for sponsoring the podcast as well. TD Ameritrade is honoring college baseball's top college student-athletes, With the Fans' Choice Award, visit the College Home Run Derby Facebook page to check out the nominees and to cast your vote. I've been to that event in the past. That is a fun event, Uh, the the TD Ameritrade Home Run Derby in July. So uh, Omaha, Aaron, is synonymous with college baseball. And finally, it's here. We have our eight-team field. As you tweeted the other day, Aaron, I I feel like every year we're excited about this field. But this is a unique one because we've really got some – some new blood in Omaha. With Saturday's games, UC Irvine against Texas. Certainly Texas is not new blood, but has not been uh-huh. to Omaha since 2011. Irvine hasn't been since 20, since 2007. Vanderbilt and Louisville both have been recently. Vanderbilt 2011, Louisville repeating from last year. Then Sunday, TCU and first-time member Texas Tech. And then Virginia, which uh, also there as recently as 2011, and Ole Miss there for the first time since 1972. Aaron, uh, upsets abounded, I guess. So I, I'm going to steal a question from Mike Farron. Was it parity uh, that drove so many uh, different teams to Omaha? Or was uh, or is there something else that – was a mediocrity that allows us to have only two of the top eight national seats? Or something else?
0: Inter- yeah, that's an interesting way to, to put it um, because I, I don't know – if it's mediocrity, I mean, I, I think there were some really good teams this year that had really good seasons and didn't win, you know? I mean, um, Oregon State probably wins that regional more times than not, um, but they didn't win it this time. And, and you know, if you look at the other national seeds, I mean, there were some pretty good teams. I thought Florida was – we talked about it. Florida yeah. was flawed and invulnerable. Florida State was flawed and vulnerable. Um, Oregon State was really good, you know? Yeah. I, I don't think they were mediocre, right? I think they just had a bad weekend, and, and certainly Indiana. I feel the same way about Louisiana Lafayette. Um, ran into a really good Ole Miss team. I mean, right. both of those, those teams were, were Omaha caliber clubs. Only one of them could make it. Um, so you know, and LSU had been really hot, and then they they lost. I mean, I don't. You know, I think LSU was also it was clear that they had some flaws over the course of the season, and then they just had. You know, they, they they earned a national seed by getting hot at the right time, um, but it's not like they were. I think a, a juggernaut for me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that was. It, it was it was surprising that Houston went in there and won a regional because you don't expect LSU to lose regionals at home. Um, but you know, but I don't think it was it was a stunner. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's uh, I think there were some really good teams, and there were some that played well over the course of the season, but but were clearly vulnerable. I guess that's my answer.
1: Yeah, I really do think the biggest surprise is that Oregon State did not make it, and that yeah. UC Irvine is the lowest seeded team to get to the College Series. The only three seed. But certainly, UC Irvine, and I didn't say that on purpose, but it it, it fits the certainly part. Uh, I don't think either <laughs> one of us thought that Irvine was an Omaha team. But then when you go to Oregon State, I, I think that's the thing. I think Oregon State's the biggest surprise to me that they didn't make it. Because consistently, the feedback I got, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the feedback if you got different feedback, but for me consistently, Aaron, uh, the scouts and the college coaches I talked to thought that the two best teams – were Virginia and Oregon State this year.
0: Yes, I, I, that's the same, I think, uh, that I heard from most people. And, um, you know, in this Irvine team, yeah, they got off to a good start in the Big West. But I, I think they were, you know, even Mike Gillespie said early in the season, like, hey, we know, we we, we kind of feasted against the weaker part of the conference here. And, um, you know, even after the, the weekend after, they, they won that series against Santa Barbara. Um, they, I think they swept that series. Even then, right. Gillespie wasn't breathing easy. He said, you know, we know we still got a lot of work to do. And, and you know, we got Cal Poly, we got Fullerton, we got Long Beach coming up. And, and they went up losing all those series. And so, you know, when you look at the, the course of, of their season, I mean, they lost series early on to uh, Nebraska, uh, Fresno State, San Diego State. They lost to out of conference. So, I mean, you know, it's not like they had a great season. Frankly, it, they didn't. I mean, they they, they squeaked into the tournament, um, you know, and it's not like a, like, like the two – 2008 Fresno team where they, they only got in because they won their conference tournament, but we knew they were dangerous. They were a preseason top 25 team that was loaded with talent. This Irvine team has some talent, but it's not loaded with talent. You know, it's got Sparks. It's got Morales. Uh, uh, Connor Spencer can really hit. And after that, the rest of those guys are just kind of complementary pieces, and they're well coached, and they're, they're performing uh, very well when it matters. But this isn't, you know, a superpower that just had, had a disappointment year, I mean, and then got hot at the right time. This is a, a team that is a surprise. This is a surprise. Not only did they beat Oregon State, but then they, they went and beat Oklahoma State, uh, the Big 12 champion, one week after beating the Big West champion, I mean, rather the, the Pac-12 champion, excuse me. Um, that was a tough road. I mean, you know, you, you couldn't have had a much tougher road than, than beating Oregon State and Oklahoma State on the road back-to-back weeks. Clearly a disdain
1: for Orange and Black for the Anteaters, who are the only team <laughs> And the only team, Aaron, that went on the road for both, ste- both steps to get to Omaha, and even Texas Tech yeah. was a two C, but they got a home super regional. Ole Miss certainly was uh, a home for regionals and had to go win a super Regional on the road. Um, the only team that had that had to go on the road for both uh, both sides were, were the uh, Andeaters. And Aaron, you had the quote of the of the year for me was the uh, you know was it a scout or a coach who told you in the in the super regional preview that. Uh, that Mike Gillespie's worth 16 WAR on his own. I mean that—that that was the quote yeah. of the year for me.
0: I thought that summed it up really nicely. And then you know, that was from one coach, and then another coach used, you know, talked about um, Gillespie as the White Wizard. You know, just. Yeah. Uh, just I just love I love the way other people in the West talk about Gillespie, and, and I wrote about it in, in my column that I think is, is going up on the web tomorrow. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been like this for a long time. I mean, I, I can remember you know six years ago, seven years ago, talking to coaches and scouts in the West, and, and they, they talk about Gillespie with the same kind of rever- reverence then that they do now. I mean, and I'm sure for you, you know, you you, 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 you also talk about that triple steal that he pulled off <laughs> in the national championship game in 1998. I mean, if that's not a perfect Mike Gillespie story, I don't know what is.
1: It's unreal. I mean that just <laughs> that is really the craziest play I've ever seen. It, it was a thirty five run game. It was a twenty one to fourteen game. Yeah. It's not like you needed to steal bases with the old minus five bats, the ball flying out of Rosenblatt, three hundred sixty foot power alleys. I mean it was a you know, it was a it was a, a degree of excess that <laughs> college baseball probably would never see again from an offensive standpoint. And that was the record-setting yeah. year, and that was the record-setting Omaha College World Series in a record-setting offensive year. And he pulls a triple steal. That happened to be the 20th stolen base for Morgan Ennsburg that year, who went 20-20 wow. that year. 23 homers, 20 steals for Morgan Ennsburg for a national championship team. Quite a senior uh, season. He would have won the Lowe's Award if they had it back then. Yeah. Um, he actually wasn't even the best senior on his own team. I think Seth Etherton was also a senior that year, and you know how I feel about Seth Atherton. But it is amazing yes, to me. It's amazing to me that USC ever fired this guy, uh, Michael Gillespie. And like you said, Irvine's good. Andrew Morales is a true college number one. But I mean, he's lost two games in his whole college career, right? Two this year.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, well, he lost. I think he lost maybe one in junior college, also. So okay. maybe he's got three in his career now. So
1: Elliott Surrey, that guy's good. I mean, he could give some balls up to the gaps. But this, you know, you, there, we have a one-two punch with a couple of guys with ERAs under two. Who uh, and, you know, Surrey basically is like a Daniel Babona clone. I know Daniel Babona, one of your all-time faves.
0: He's not nearly as good as Daniel Babona, though. And I like Surrey, and, and you know with he's fun to watch because he's yeah, he's he's a competitor. Um, that's a, and, uh, and
1: a uh, Surrey with the fringe on top. That's an Oklahoma. That's a song in Oklahoma, and that's a When Harry Met Sally reference. So
0: I don't know. Okay, that, I missed that one. <laughs> okay. I was just gonna plow on ahead just without without on. acknowledging. <laughs> um, you know, he, he's a pitchability guy. He's a soft tosser. Babona actually had a little bit of velocity. I mean, he could run it up there a little bit better than Surrey could. Um, you know, I mean, they both pitched in the '80s, but um, Babona did have better stuff. I mean, you know, okay. but but Surrey is in. You're right. He's cut from that cloth.
1: Okay, that's a good good word to use with the name Surrey with the fringe on top. It goes back to that again. <laughs> soft. I six. can't let it go. Um, but this team. I mean, again, you, you mentioned Sparks and Spencer. But it's just not, you know, for for UC Irvine to win the Cal Series, Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong, they're going to have to skill it up big time, yes. right?
0: Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, <laughs> it's it's neat because obviously they in Texas run the same kind of offense. But I think Irvine, you know, does a little bit more unusual things than right. Texas does. You know, Texas is going to get a guy on, they're going to sack bunt, um, and they're going to you know, try to get them in however they can, but they're not going to be nearly as creative, I don't think, as Gillespie is going to be. You're not going to see um, any double squeezes from Texas. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's the the amount that Irvine squeezes it really stands out. You know, even even when everyone knows it's coming, it could be two strikes, they could squeeze. Uh, you know, all kinds of situations. Look for it. Um, they're going to squeeze, <laughs> but but they execute it.
1: It's amazing. It really is. A- Everyone knows – you think you know what's coming, and that's like you said. Irvine, they run similar offenses, but Irvine just seems like it's better at the unconventional aspects yeah. of the short game. Texas, Aaron, uh, let's transition to the Longhorns. Obviously, they do play this, the short game. That is an Augie Grado staple. He's really the person who first perfected it as a head coach at the Division One level. I mean, all these sons of Wally Kincaid, whether it's Dave Snow or Gillespie or Horton or Serrano or whoever – all those guys, because obviously Gillespie's uh, you know, Cerritos, J.C. Uh, head mm-hmm. coach before he was at USC, which is the same place. I think he, you know that's where George Horton uh, went to school. I believe uh, Serrano went to school there. So as, uh, all this kind of California J.C. stuff that, is, that gave birth to this West Coast style of baseball. Um, it just seems like Texas, uh, but Augie was the first to do it as a head coach. Win a national title with it. What, was his first in 79 with the Florenton? Yeah, uh, I believe that was his first championship. Um, this Texas team seemed like it kind of got better over the course of the year, and um, and that's despite the fact that Dylan Peters, their presumptive ace, uh, got hurt. Uh, the, the resiliency of this Texas team is kind of what stands out to me because they've had some uh, some adversity as the season has gone on, and they just keep staying true to who they are, and they have some real weapons uh, on the mound. Uh, Curtis and Duke out of their bullpen, they've got a game-changing athlete in Ben Johnson who's dangerous, gives them some power and speed, and then they've got uh, some real playmakers in Peyton and Inahosa offensively, along with uh, Madison Carter who had this kind of surprising uh, year when he was healthy. Um, you know, they, They've had this adversity, Aaron, and they just keep on plowing through.
0: Yeah, and you know, they were, I think, in the top 10 uh, in mid-April. They just swept Oklahoma on the road. And they were flying pretty high, and we were talking about them as maybe a national seed contender, certainly right. a regional host. And then all of a sudden, they they really went in the tank a little bit. You know, they they got swept by TCU at home. They lost two out of three to Oklahoma State at home. They went to West Virginia and lost the series. So, I mean, you know, they, they didn't exactly carry a whole lot of momentum here into the postseason. Um, but, you know… <sighs> It's one of those teams that I always felt like once they got into the postseason, they could be dangerous just because of, of the way that they pitch and defend. You know, they're well they're well built, I think, to win it in, in this ballpark. Um, and I don't know. I mean, they, the, the fact that they, they had those senior guys come back, uh, Thornhill and Peyton, that's the key to the whole season. And Augie's talked about that a lot. Um, and and i think rightfully so i mean those are clearly the guys that that make them go those are the best players in the team payton is is the is the mark pappy i think um of the big 12 you know he's just a really tough out who controls the strike zone and 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 makes them go and um and and thornhill is you know he's the the tone setter now without peters he's the guy that's kind of their number one starter and uh you know he, he pitched very well um again last week and uh, it's not overwhelming stuff, but it's solid stuff. He'll be eighty-eight to ninety, ninety-two, you know, with a pretty good breaking ball and change-up, and knows how to pitch. And um, I don't know. I think it'll be a great matchup between him and uh, and, and Morales in that first game. A couple of uh, veteran right-handers that uh, just really know their craft.
1: That does set up as a, as a great matchup, and I think everyone's anticipating the uh, the the quote-off between the two head coaches there. And who do you think wins that, Gillespie or Garrido? I mean, it doesn't take a back seat to too many people. The boy, Mike Gillespie back in Omaha for the first time in uh, a decade—that that could get epic in terms of the uh, the quotes. Well, right
0: I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Augie because I have uh, some inside information that Gillespie uh, lost his voice this week, and so I have a feeling we're gonna get screwed out of a really good performance from Gillespie up on the dais. But uh, no, but I hope not.
1: No, that's uh, that is unfortunate. Let's see if we can't fly Jack Croftcheck in to be the voice of Skip. So.
0: Got nice.
1: to make a Jack check <laughs> reference whenever possible. So uh, it's a Baseball America podcast with John Manuel and Aaron Fit. Aaron, then we get uh, – that's going to be a good matchup. But then we get Vanderbilt and Louisville uh, in the 7 o'clock game Saturday night, a rematch of last year's Super Regional, which was won by the, the Cardinals at Vanderbilt. And, Aaron, I'm fascinated to see these two teams that are very similar in their approaches, big power arms. Vanderbilt has a little bit more depth of power arms but certainly both teams noted for swinginess stuff, athleticism in the field, the ability to hit for some power, but really more of gap-to-gap, and aggressive base running. And they're they're similar templates to great coaching staffs. But now you're taking both these teams off turf and putting them in the the grass at TD Ameritrade. How much do you think that affects these two clubs, which are really built for turf?
0: Or Or do I overstate it a little bit? No, I mean I think it's a factor, you know. And and in Texas is another one that um is, just plays on turf, and so um, we've got you know Irvine is the one team on that's out of the bracket that plays on grass. So we'll see if that's it's a factor at all here. But uh, uh, maybe it is. I mean, the the game is a little faster um, on 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 the real grass than it is on that the, the, especially the turf they have at Texas, where the ball really slows down and gives you the, you know room service tops all day long. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think these teams are still going to push the action for um, Vanderbilt and Louisville. You know, that's just their game, especially Louisville, Uh, but both of them. I think they both rank in the top 10 in the nation in in stolen bases, Um, so they're not afraid to run, and, you know, they can skill it up. They got a little bit of pop in the middle, both of them. Um, you know, certainly Jeff Gardner for Louisville and the amazing Nick Solak. He, he's, <laughs> he's the guy. You know, he's he's really been the the, the catalyst here in the postseason. Is, is this true freshman that they kind of plugged in the lineup uh, in, in the second half of the year? Couldn't get him out. It seemed like uh, last weekend in the Super Regional, he had some some big hits for him the previous two weeks in in, in the Conference Tournament and in regionals. Um, you, it totally know, you know, like he's, Sol- an, he's a Solak
1: an and Ray Aaron, right? Both both these two freshmen. Solak had the big yeah. super regional. Corey Ray played well in the regional for them. These two freshmen he played. have really injected some energy into this lineup.
0: You got it, John. Corey Ray was very, very exciting to watch in the regional. That guy is going to be a big star for Louisville. Um, you know, just so physical and fast and aggressive on the base pass, just like Louisville in general is. He, he really is, has taken to it. You know, Don, Dan McDonald um, takes so much pride in, in coaching the base running and and. Corey Ray, multiple occasions in that regional, stretch a single into a double, uh, where where I didn't think he he had a chance to do so. So I mean, those guys really do help set that that tempo. And certainly Cole Sturgeon um, might be the the most overall valuable player on their team. I think he is. You know, as a two way guy that plays great defense in center field and um, is, is a spark plug at the top of the lineup. And uh, and he'll come in and, and you know set up Nick Birdie in the bullpen as well. I mean, he's he's a great college baseball player. Uh, I, I like their team a lot. and I like the fact that they're the only team here that has any Omaha experience. Now that said, I saw something. I think Rob Anderson tweeted out uh, the, the, one of the Creighton Sports Information people that um, these eight teams in Omaha have a combined five point one innings, uh, five and a third innings of Omaha experience. Um, so wow. you know this Louisville team, and not many, and, and not, not many at bats either. I mean, you know Louisville has the experience, such as it is, um, but. You know, it's still not a ton. I mean, they, their whole pitching staff was basically rebuilt after last year. They lost their three starters. I mean, Birdie's back, but, um, you know, and Sturgeon, but, um, you know, Funkhauser didn't pitch in Omaha last year, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that – I think it still helps them that, they, that they've been in, in Omaha, they've experienced the atmosphere, all these guys, even if they weren't key contributors last year. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's such a huge advantage maybe as, it, as otherwise it might be.
1: Yeah, and by the way, if you don't already, if you're a college baseball fan, you're listening to this podcast, number one. Number two, follow Rob Anderson, uh, at underscore Rob Anderson. He's the the Creighton Sports Information Director, I believe, uh, Yeah, for the whole school. So, you know, if you're like me and uh, you you resent the uh, Creighton basketball team because of what they did to Kendall Marshall (laughs) a couple years ago, (laughs) that made Rob a difficult follow during basketball season. I'm not going to lie to you. But Rob is very good at his job, very informative. He tweets out a lot of great tidbits during the Cowboys series. Um, yes. He's definitely worth a follow. Um, and second of all, I just think you make – those are great points you brought up about how these teams are so similar. I love the the the, the focus on Solak and Ray. was pretty intriguing uh, how those two teams uh, – both these teams are getting key contributions from freshmen down the stretch, Aaron, because with Vanderbilt – is it John Norwood, a freshman, their center fielder, and he was like their best hitter in Super Oh, He's not a freshman; he's a junior. I apologize. He's,
0: yeah, but, but but he is. But, but he you're is right; he's been good. a spark for him, and he's he's kind of you know, he's got kind of a, a Corey Ray kind of a game. I mean, he's not as good of a hitter as a hitter as Corey Ray. Um, you know, it's taken Norwood a couple of years to figure it out, um, but but he has provided a nice spark for him, and he's similarly athletic and has a little power speed combination. Although he hasn't hit for much power this year, it's in there. Um, but you know, I, I feel like. Xavier Turner and Xander Wheel; these guys have, have come on pretty strong for them lately, uh, you know, just watching those games um, off the top of my head. It seems like those guys have had a lot of big hits for them. Um, right. And Brian Reynolds, that's the dynamic freshman for Vanderbilt. That's, that's the guy that's, that's who's – That's where mixed up. He, that's
1: exactly what it is. Yeah.
0: He's their best hitter. I mean, and, and you know, made that great diving catch uh, in the last game of the Super Regional against Stanford out in left field. Um, He's got he's got 24 doubles. I mean, this guy is going to be, I think, a, a menace in in. I keep wanting to say Rosenblatt, John. That that old habit just won't die. He's going to be a menace in T damp, um, with those spacious gaps. I mean, especially with with how, how confident he is right now. He had a bunch of hits in the super regional. Um, that that's the, become really the, the centerpiece of their lineup.
1: That's what happens. I I, I mixed up the names of, of Reynolds and uh, and Norwood, but uh, Reynolds is just like. I mean, he looks fourteen in the face. Yeah. He's a baby-faced killer. I mean, this guy would step up to the plate, and you watch him in these games in the regional and super regional, and you think, how could this guy be their p- top hitter? And he's just been dazzling. Uh, I mean, like the 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 gap power, like you said, are, are pretty impressive. Um, our friend over at VU Hawk Talk on Twitter, Vanderbilt baseball tweeting. Had some uh, serious questions here. And since we're talking about Vanderbilt, I wanted to touch base with you on his questions that he asked us on the Twitter machine yesterday. Um, Does time between games put materially less emphasis on pitching depth in Omaha than it does at a regional? And obviously both these teams have pitching depth. But I would say that Vanderbilt has more pitching depth, and that is muted. That's a muted advantage in Omaha, correct? I I think it is.
0: It is. It is. And if you look at – Arizona a couple of years ago, it was exactly. um, what? It was higher. It was Wade. It was Ferris, and it was higher, and it was and Wade. <laughs> and that's it. Uh, and, and and Troop, yeah, and, and mix in some Troop, and that's it. I mean, it was basically four pitchers. And last year it was Plutko, Vander um Plutko, Vander Watson started once, and then they had you know of course Berg and, and Caprillion a little bit in the bullpen. But I mean, you, you certainly you don't, don't need as many pitchers to win. However, um, if you fall into the losers' bracket, yes, I mean it helps to have more arms, um, and, and the fact that you know a team like Vanderbilt can come back with with four at least four starters that give them a real chance um, if they lose, that's an advantage. You know, you'd not have to bring back a guy on, on quite a short rest. Uh, or, or Virginia, I mean, you know, I love the fact that in the super regional, it clearly shows you that, that right now. I'm not not to jump ahead here, but um, you know, Virginia um, doesn't trust. Conor Jones right now. you know He struggled to throw strikes, and so you need to win a game against Maryland in that second game. Uh, they bring in Artie Lewicki. He was supposed to start the third game, but instead they brought him in in relief. He threw three in the third innings on, on Sunday in that middle game. And so, well, what are we going to do on Monday? I guess we'll go with our number four guy, Josh Spores. And Josh Spores has a chance to be a top ten draft pick next year, John, if he can throw strikes consistently, because the arm is ridiculous. He's a big physical guy. He was 92-96 with an 86-88... to 88- on hour slider with depth and i keep you know you look at the velocity and you want to call it a cutter but it's not a cutter it's a just a true slider with that kind of velocity it's like you know that's carlos redond velocity on a slider i mean it's this guy's nasty as your number dirty. four starter
1: it was that, yeah. for, exactly for a number four starter to have stuff that dirty and basically your fifth option because you were hoping you would go with you were thinking as you came into it Connor Jones would be ahead of him on the on the you know, through the course of the year. Connor Jones was a, a yep. money guy, you know. He threw only yep. t- seventeen fewer innings all year, and he did it out of the bullpen, whereas Sports was in the rotation pretty much most of the year. But yeah, that was that was eye opening to see just how good Josh Bour's stuff was with all the money on the table. I mean, you know, yeah, season and- on the line, a lot of hopes, a lot of expectations for that team this year. Um, so I, I don't feel like we gave short shrift to the Louisville
0: Vanderbilt matchup. Aaron, yeah, I, so I want to I want to go back, back though. The, the point I was trying to make. Yeah. Yeah. The point I was trying to make when I, when I was jumping ahead there was that um, if you're in this, if you have pitching depth like Vanderbilt does, and let's say you you know Tyler Beatty starts a game and he can't find the strike zone, and you know it's the third or fourth inning, you have to make a decision. Okay, well, I'll go to my long man here, you know i i can uh, or I can go to one of my starters, you know maybe i maybe I'll bring Fulmer out of the bullpen um and then and then I'll have you know somebody else I got Walker Bueller who could start a game. I could always start Jared Miller, um you know I mean, they have all these options. they can string it together without taxing their pitching staff. I just think it gives you that extra hammer to know well if if one guy that I start. You know, it doesn't matter who it is. Maybe Fulmer gets shelled early. Who knows? It could happen. Um, or just doesn't have it. You know, you can make that move, and it just gives you it just gives you more weapons. than. than you know, if, if you're Louisville and Kyle Funkhauser doesn't have it, I think you're in trouble. I mean, yeah, they have McGrath, and they have Sturgeon, they have Birdie, but they need Funkhauser to give them six or seven innings, I think, in that first game, um, the way I see it, for, for them to really, to really win this bracket.
1: I'm totally with you. I mean, that's the difference between these two teams. I actually think that in terms of front-line college baseball players, I might give a slight edge to Louisville and be experienced. I, I think they're a little bit better offensive team than Vanderbilt is. I think Vanderbilt's a better pitching team. And like you said, Vanderbilt's got a plan B and a plan C. And I also want to give Vanderbilt, a, a program and a team that I've questioned in recent weeks, all the credit for taking that big, league on, big lead against Stanford. Stanford gets right back within a run. And the reputation was growing that Vanderbilt would fold in those situations or would get too tight in those situations. And instead they answered, and they kept answering, and Stanford had nothing more for him. So Stanford showed a lot of fight, but Vanderbilt did too, and that's why they're in Omaha, and that's why Stanford's season is done. I thought that was a pretty big super regional win in the scope of the program for I don't know if you think I'm maybe I'm overstating it, Aaron, but I, I thought that was no. pretty huge for the for the Commodores as a program and Tim
0: Corbin as a coach. No, I, I'm with you on that. I completely agree with you. They needed to get back over the hump and get back to Omaha's for the second time, and you know they celebrated um, with with a dog pile, and you know after winning out a 12 to five game, just like Virginia celebrated with a dog pile after they they blew out Maryland 11 to two, because that just shows you getting to Omaha is hard, even when you're one of these elite programs, and those That's are. Elite programs that are um, all every year, those two programs are among the best in the country. They've won, you know, there's not many programs. I think Virginia's won more games since 2008, than any team in college baseball. Um, so, you know, those teams win a lot, but, but getting to Omaha is still special. And, you know, kudos to those guys for, for celebrating like it, like it is, because it's not just a business trip.
1: That's exactly it. Hey, first of all, they're college kids. Second of all, it is hard. Uh, you know, South Carolina. Made it look easy for a couple years, three years. It's not that easy. And uh, I I think South Carolina is kind of finding that out right now. (laughs) It's not that easy. Uh, It is hard to get to Omaha. And it's not a birthright for anybody. So um, kudos to both those teams for uh, the the toughness that they they both kind of showed. Aaron, let's go over to the other side of the bracket. Uh, We're looking at an all-Texas matchup in the other game on Sunday at two o'clock and uh I suppose here we should talk give some kudos to the big 12 Aaron um I feel like we talked about the big 12 a decent amount this year you made a trip to go see a bunch of big 12 schools this year uh I guess I actually I guess you saw Oklahoma State and TCU were those those the only ones that you saw or you also saw Kansas State right
0: I saw a bunch. When I started, I saw Texas Tech actually against TCU was the first game of my trip. It was Finnegan um, against Dominic Moreno on a Friday night, nice. and TCU blew their doors off. And then uh, Texas Tech won the next two games in the series when I was gone. But uh, I, saw, I saw Kansas State at Oklahoma later that trip. I saw a game at Kansas State. Um, yeah, I got around a decent amount in the Big 12.
1: So, so you saw a lot of Big 12 this year because we felt like that was an interesting part of the country with all these newish, new-ish coaches. And here, a second-year coach in Tim Tadlock taking Texas Tech to the Cowdwell Series. This is a program, Aaron, that has won a lot of games. They had a lot of 40-win seasons under Larry Hayes. They produced some big leaguers, Josh Bard, chief among them, uh, Joe Dillon, another Texas Tech big leaguer, one of my favorite players, grinded his way through the minor leagues. But, Aaron, um, this is a program that has struggled in recent years, and we thought they were going to take off five, six years ago with Dan Spencer. It never quite happened. But boy, Tim Tadlock, they, they had a good year this year. The one time we ranked them during the regular season, they went right out and lost a series after that. It's not yeah. an overwe- it's not an overwhelmingly talented team, Aaron, but they throw a ton of strikes. Kirsch and Gutierrez give them some guys who can really uh give them some pop, and then Nislone, Tyler Nislone, I'm I'm sure I'm messing up his name, but uh this guy's had a phenomenal offensive season. But it feels like this is an offensive oriented team that then just showed they can win back-to-back one nothing games in a Super Regional. I feel like I have less handle on Texas Tech than yeah. I have on any team going to the Coddled Series in years. I think they're an offensive team. And they win one nothing back back-to-back. Who are these guys?
0: I don't know. I don't know if they are an <laughs> offensive team. I don't know if they're a pitching team. I just think they're just a weird team that has is- Better than they should be on paper, and that's been the case uh, all season long. I mean, I've struggled all year to get a, a handle on this team. And you talk to two people who play them, and they're like, "Yeah, you know, they're they're pretty solid. They play hard, you know." But but it, nobody walks away from playing Texas Tech saying, "Oh man, those guys are really good." I mean, you know, people, I, I, everyone I talk to says, "Yeah, they're they're good. You know, they're a solid club. They're well coached. They execute." But I mean, they're not an offensive juggernaut. They have a couple of guys with power. You know, you talk about Gutierrez and Kirsch and, and Loney Um but that's about it as far as offensive um, forces in this lineup. I mean, I, I really like Tim Proudfoot. It's a guy I've I've, I've liked watching for a couple of years now at shortstop, just a guy that makes every play. It seems like he's a smaller guy, uh, doesn't have huge raw tools, but he fielded 990 this year, only two errors, um, and, and he hit more than I think he has in the past. Uh, you know, it's a singles kind of contact approach, but a nice little player down there in their lineup. And and then Devin Conley in center field, very athletic. He showed it with that great catch to save um, the the super regional against College of Charleston. Um, you know, he, he's a guy that can affect games with his defense, not not really with his bat. But um, I don't know. These guys are they're a great defensive club. I mean, maybe that's what they are. I mean, they're fielding 981. So um, if we're looking for an identity, maybe that's it. They got a little bit of pop in the middle with two guys that can really hurt you. Um, they they're, 're they're hard nosed, they really do grind out at bats, and I know I use that term too much, but this team that 's what they are they 're that kind of club. Uh, they wear you down and there 's a lot of productive at bats and, and and right now their pitching is hot, you know and is it a lot of big arms no i don 't think I would say that. I think Chris Sadbury has a good arm from the left side, a big physical guy that has a pretty good breaking ball, and um, he's really the one guy who, who, who over the course of the season had a decent chance to pitch them deep into a ball game, but lately it's been um, Dylan Dusak, the left-hander who's done a really good job for him. Cameron Smith is the other lefty that, that shut out Miami in the, in the regional final and got some big outs for him in, in the, the last game against Charleston. Uh, and then Johnny Droz at the back of the bullpen. Boy, that guy is, is locked in. I mean, and again, it's year. not big stuff. You watch him, but it's, yeah, great year. It's, it's angle and it's command of the fast Ball and, and you know, we can backdoor the breaking ball against righties, and uh, he's he's pretty good.
1: He He's had a tremendous year. Johnny Droz, I love, I love that name too. I love anybody who goes by Johnny. Um, I mean, the most recognizable names on this team, probably. I mean, to me, Aaron, I was looking at their roster when you when I was reading the super regional previews and uh, looking at those. I was like, hey, they have Chris Withrow's little brother. So Matt Withrow, yeah, whose big league brother is just getting ready to have Tommy John surgery. Um, I was like, and even that—it's like I made eight starts during the year, but it seems like he's not really yeah. a guy anymore for them, you know. Um,
0: and, and he's got the biggest arm on their team; he's their best prospect. But uh, I think the strike throwing is not there to the level that they want it to be, and so he's basically not in the mix anymore.
1: That's it. So to me, it's a—it's a—it's a really neat story. It's a program that you know Texas Tech has been. They had a, a big football year a couple of years ago when Michael Crabtree was there. Um, but you have uh, a head coach there in Tim Tadlock with ties to the program. You have Ray Hayward who's been a pitching coach at high-level college baseball for a long time. Um, you know, was uh, at Oklahoma for a long time. Correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't Ray Hayward at, at, uh, over at Oklahoma coaching there for an awful long time?
0: I think yeah, so, yeah.
1: Assistant coach at Oklahoma for five years. <laughs> um, and then you're looking at uh, you know my favorite assistant coach in the country because of his name, J. Bob Thomas. Uh, who got kind of involved in that little fracas, got ejected in that game down in uh, Miami where things got a little chippy. But uh, Texas Tech, they've played uh, tough teams. They had to go on the road to win a regional at Miami, and they play uh, home and two, like you said, where one play could have made the game either way against College Charleston. So they certainly have faced a lot of pressure. But on paper, I feel like they're the eighth team out of these eight teams, or is, is that unfair?
0: I mean, it's, you know, it's them or Irvine, I guess, uh, on paper. But I I, I think I like Irvine's chances a little bit more for whatever reason. Um, And, and, you know, it's just more fuel to the fire, Texas Tech. I mean, all all year long I've been trying to figure you guys out, haven't been able to do it, and and I know I've been selling them short all year. Um, Well, I I guess I'm selling them short again because I I like the other three teams in this bracket a lot more. Um, You know, I I think they're clearly the heavy underdog on their side of the bracket.
1: I agree because TCU, Aaron – this is a team that we thought had a chance to be, you know, great team last year, and they struggled offensively. And we thought they had a team to be a very, a chance to be a very good team this year, and they struggled some offensively early. And then, boy, the last thirty to thirty-five games, they've been awfully hot. Uh, I'm trying to find the last time they won, they lost back-to-back games, Aaron. I'm going back a ways. <laughs> I think you're having to go back to that Texas Tech series, or, or no, the next weekend. Oklahoma State, they lost two in a row at Oklahoma State go. on March 29th and 30th. Aaron, that's a long time to not lose back-to-back games. Uh, TCU just seems like <laughs> they've got talent, but they've also got a little bit of that toughness and a little bit of that it factor. They took every single thing Pepperdine and Aaron Brown could throw at them, and they, and they still kept coming.
0: Yeah, they did, and it was very impressive because Pepperdine played well, and, and Aaron Brown. Super regional.
1: That was, that, was, that, was that was maybe a... the best super regional.
0: It was. I think for for me, it was absolutely the most compelling action. All three of those games were were really good, and especially the last game. I mean, that was a classic. Because um, even after TCU took the lead in the ninth with two runs, Pepperdine came back in the bottom of the ninth and had runners on the corners, um, and and made Riley Farrell earn it. You know, and then and then the the video feed went out right before strike three to end it. Of course, that was epic. <laughs> the but the high uh, game of college baseball for older I know fans. it. But but you know it was um, it was an impressive weekend for TCU and I will say this I, I don't feel like they're riding a you know this wave of um, dominating performance into the into Omaha like maybe like a Virginia is or uh, you know some of these other teams I guess even Texas I thought was pretty dominant and it's super regional against Houston um, TCU had to work a lot harder and sometimes that's a good thing. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's a sign of of maybe a team that um, could be vulnerable. But in this case, I don't know. I think maybe just tip your cap to Pepperdine and say they played really well, and, and and TCU, you know, give them credit for 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 pulling it out. But what do you think, John? What's your What's your read on on this TCU team? I, I
1: thought Pepperdine was really really good, and that TCU had to be equally good to win that Super Regional. I I thought Aaron Brown was the best player on the field. I thought Aaron Brown was the best player I saw in Super Regionals. I thought Aaron Brown was like, how did this guy fall to the third round? I mean, he just jumped off the page. He was so good. And Pepperdine was executing and grinding at bats and made TCU work for everything. But I'll tell you, I, I think Schloss gets a lot of credit for this TCU team because they've stuck to what they do. He's had faith in a lot of players there, Aaron, that other coaches might have cast to the wayside by now. And he's had yeah. faith in those players despite some struggles, and they've rewarded his faith. I guess I should be using those words because I'm talking about TCU. <laughs> but, um,
0: but Right.
1: But, I mean, they've, they've got some rocks. They've got Preston Morrison, who is a rock. He just – he may not be a prospect, but that guy is just so consistent – He's going to make you beat him. What was the, wasn't he there Friday starter two years ago in that Super Regional at UCLA or something like that? Yep. I mean, he he was. Like he's been he around was. For, he like he's been around forever. He's still only a junior. So they have one more year of this guy coming back because I don't think he was drafted. If he was, it was very late.
0: That, that's right.
1: It's a. I mean, it is a – and then, you know, again, I'm, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of guys like Kevin I man Most teams don't bench third-round picks. But, boy, Kevin Crone was bad last year, and he still wasn't great the first half of this year. But now he put. He seems like he's not trying to do too much. He doesn't shrink from the moment when he needs a big hit. When they need a big hit, he can come up with it. And they've got some other talented offensive players. Cody Jones can set the table. Um, you know, they they could run a little bit. Uh, the, I, I think this is a, just a, a really good team. They got pushed by a very good, very hot Pepperdine team, and had to play their best to win that super regional. And they found it within themselves. And that has to be exciting for a coaching staff to know that your team can summon it up when it needs it. And and they did. So I'd be excited if I were uh, TCU. Uh, I, I think they're going to be a, a force to be reckoned with in this, in, in this, uh, in this cowled series. I mean, they all are, but I, you know, one game with T- Texas tech, anything can happen. And as you just mentioned, Texas tech won two of three in that series. when they played in Fort worth during the season. So, that has to give Texas Tech some confidence. But on paper, TCU certainly likes, looks like the better team. And then, Aaron, we have Virginia. And, and, I mean, go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: And, and then final thought here. I mean, uh, you know, I've, I've made the comment. Uh, I was talking with Mike Rooney about six weeks ago. You know, he said, who's your, who's your national championship sleeper? And, and at the time, I felt like TCU was a sleeper. I mean, you know, I don't think they were in the top 25. But I just uh, – that's the team that I came up with because I just felt like they – are built a lot like, you know, that UCLA team last year where it's uh, pitching and defense and, um, you know, even now they're, they're, their bats don't scare you, just like UCLA's bats didn't really scare anybody last year, but uh, but they're really good up the middle and they have a shortstop who makes every play and Keaton Jones, you know, he's, he's their, their pad for A lot of these teams have that guy. It's, it's one thing that we see here, a lot of these teams, I think they're all good defensive teams. Every one of them, all eight of them are, are uh, you know, don't make a lot of mistakes and they all have playmakers up the middle um, and that's that's important so i guess maybe that doesn't give any of these teams an edge because they're all good on defense
1: (laughs) aaron you just mentioned uh suited for the ballpark uh v our our friend again at at vu hawk talk asked what teams have offenses and pitching staff slash outfield defenses best suited to the homer unfriendly confines is that virginia is it the cavaliers are they just the best team so we think they're the best suited because they're the best team
0: I think they're the best team and they're the best suited. And, and here's, here's the thing that stands out to me about them. You know, it's easy to compare teams to UCLA because there's a lot of teams that don't have any power and a lot of teams <laughs> that right. win with pitching and defense. Um, but you can compare Virginia to UCLA because they, they defend very well and they also hit very well. Uh, but you can also compare this Virginia team to the Arizona team that won the year before because they have those kind of athletes all over the place. They're a gap-hitting right. team. We're going to see a lot of doubles and triples out of this Virginia team in that ballpark. Um, that's the kind of team they are anyway. You know, they they have some guys who can hit out of, uh, hit it out of the yard uh, when they need them. But for the most part, this is a team that that is geared to do just what Arizona did a couple of years ago um, with with Mejia and Mejia's Breen and Russ Snyder and you know Joey Rickard, all those guys who could just really run you know they put the ball into the gaps and they run and and i think this virginia team does that they got a lot of strength and physicality which matters but they also have speed and athleticism um they're good defensively or better than good defensively everywhere in the diamond. It was a lot of fun watching Cogswell at second base. I mean, there's, there's the other thing. We talk about shortstops, but there's some great second basemen in this field with Cogswell and uh, what Zach Lucas impressed the heck out of me for Louisville at second base, and we know Dansby Swanson can play second base. I mean, you know, there's a lot of good players at skill positions up the middle all over this field.
1: Yeah, I mean, Virginia, <laughs> Virginia, what they did over the weekend, and you were there, obviously, in Charlottesville and, We've touched on them a little bit, but that was that's that was the Virginia we've been waiting for. You know, yes. Brandon Downs improved his batting average from two eighteen to two thirty three over the weekend. I mean, it's not much, but it, boy, two thirty three sure does look better than two eighteen. Um, Kenny Towns. He looks like he? Brandon Downs again. Does he finally good? He
0: he's, he. He looks like Brandon people. Downs again. He's whipping the. Yeah, he's whipping his his hands through the zone again. I mean, it's you know rifling balls down into that left field corner. He's you know running around. It looks like he's got a lot of confidence. I mean, he's he's fun to watch. He's Brendan Downs again.
1: You got Pinheiro and LaPrice, You have these uh, young infielders along with Cogswell. They got three to make two with these middle infielders. Pappy is gonna. I feel like Mike Pappy was as locked in in Super Regionals as any hitter I saw. Just every swing was confident, easy, at the same time forceful. He squared up. It's just like he, he squared up balls with ease. He hit lasers all over the field. I mean, that guy just—he was so good in that uh, super regional. Yeah. Um, the unfortunately named Joe McCarthy gives him a nice uh, wingman. I mean, this Fisher, <laughs> th- this team, Aaron is—they they finally are who we thought they were. And I jumped ship. You did not. Kudos for not jumping ship, Aaron. Are they quite to the level you thought they would be? Are they still? Is there still another gear that could kick in for Virginia here with their confidence flying high?
0: The team I saw this weekend was was the team I thought I would see, and um, you know, it kind of gradually built over the course of the weekend. They hit the ball well on on Saturday in the first game of the series, but they left a bunch of runners on base, and you know they hit a lot of balls at people. And they stayed with it, same approach, same confidence. Came out the next day and had 17 hits, but still only scored seven runs. You know they still left some guys on base, and the next day they come out and they score 11 runs, and you could just see the confidence growing every day. And now I think they're scary good, and um, I love the way their pitching sets up too. Now you know now that Spores is is back, giving them that that extra weapon. I wonder if Nathan Kirby will, will bounce back because that was you know that was not a very good look at him on Saturday. That's a that's a key for Virginia. I mean he's the first team All American. Um, and you know they they, they need him to, to perform like he has pretty much all season and not like he did this past weekend in order to get off to a good start. But this is a team that even if they lose that first game to Ole Miss, I think they're good enough to, to run through the losers bracket.
1: Another team with all kinds of pitching depth, like you said. But that first game with Ole Miss Aaron, that is gonna be tough. We've talked about Virginia's offense Ole Miss may not be the most athletic team although they do run fairly well as a team outside of Will Allen really and Sykes Orvis the rest of that team does have pretty good speed and another team Aaron we're going to talk about freshmen we aren't really talking about the much outside of Pinheiro with with Virginia but with J.B. Woodman and Errol Robinson J.B. Woodman <laughs> who really just I don't think he had a ton of hits over the weekend but really good at bats and he's just creeping up as, as you've checked their stats during the year, creeping up and creeping up their hitting leaders for Ole Miss. And Errol Robinson, all you got to do is – all you've done as a freshman is be the everyday shortstop for a team that goes to Omaha, won the SEC West, and, uh, you know, he makes he makes most of the routine plays look routine. And the quality of his at-bats, uh, pretty solid in big situations in the Super Regional against Louisiana Lafayette. i got to feel like Ole Miss – because so they have just the right mix of veterans and those two key freshmen who've really contributed every day as everyday players.
0: And, and they have a lot of speed in the outfield. That really stands out, you know, that was that question that VU Hawk hockey- talk was asking us um about about teams that are well suited for for this park hey this team with austin Dallasfield and braxton lee and and will jameson running around they're going to cover a ton of ground in those gaps and uh that's a big advantage you know even i think they've even more outfield range than, than virginia has although i, I love Brendan downs out there um and mccarthy is a good outfielder and fisher but those guys are not as good of an outfield as ole miss um i think this is the best outfield in in this uh in this college world series field so i think that um Hey, that that could be something to watch here. But they also do have good pitching, but I think it's a notch below the other teams we talked about, uh, TCU and Virginia. Um, You know, I like Chris Ellis. Christian Trent, I think, is very good from the left side. I wonder if Ole Miss would think about starting Christian Trent against kind of that left-handed, leaning Virginia team. And Virginia has balance of lefties and righties, but I feel like their most dangerous guys are left-handed with with, um, Pappy and Fisher and... um, uh, I'm drawing a blank and there's a third one there's yeah it's, McCarthy McCarthy's left. left I think so but anyway um, you know those guys I think um, are, are pretty good on the mound Ellis and, and, and Trent but they're not shut down and um, you know I like I, I like the bullpen I really like the fact that Laxer has, has continued to um, pitch with confidence you know because we know he's got a big arm and I've talked about it before Ninety-three, ninety-five with a really good slider but The fact that I think he got the last, what, uh, 10 outs maybe against Louisiana Lafayette. Um, They trust him, clearly, and that that is important. So now you've got a good trio with Laxer and Aaron Greenwood and and Weathersby in the bullpen. They can shorten games okay now. So I I feel like both these teams are very balanced. There's clearly the most physical and offensive teams in Omaha, the Virginia and Ole Miss. um, But they also – can pitch, and they also can defend, and they can run. I mean, they they can do it all. Both of them can.
1: Aaron, uh, a couple other uh, tweets. Uh, Who's your favorite draft-eligible pitcher going into next year? We've got some pretty good ones in this tournament. Nathan Kirby, as you mentioned. Uh, Riley Farrell is on this list. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the of the twenty fifteen, the two guys just phone jumped phone out. to No, like, Carson Fulmer or Spores and, and Kyle Funkhouser. Um, Which of those guys, guys do like uh, you like best? I uh, mean, Kirby, Funkhouser, Fulmer, or I think Bradley Farrell. Uh, uh, who are still still alive in Omaha.
0: I'll tell you, my favorite to watch is Carson Fulmer. I just think the guy's electrifying. I think we both have made it clear we we uh we kind of like Carson Fulmer. Boy. I mean, you know, just the, the the aggressiveness, the the swagger and and the fastball is, is electric. The breaking ball is the best of this group. I mean that breaking ball is nasty. And he's got the really good changeup. I love Carson Falmer. Um whether he's a better prospect than those other guys, I mean he's smaller and there's more effort in his delivery than a guy like Funkhauser. You know, Funkhauser's Funkhauser's ninety two to ninety five, touch of ninety six, with minimal effort, and he's still got you know, a baby face. I mean, this is this is a guy that um, you know, as he continues to get himself into better shape, there's more in the tank, and he doesn't have the kind of command, though. I mean, that's the thing. Uh, his command has taken a step forward this year, but he still walks guys. Um, I I will say that I was really impressed in the regional the way he located that fastball to both sides, um, especially you know in the inner half against righties and lefties. He did it. You know, he he really was. It was not just control it was command so maybe he's, he's taking that that step forward in that respect but uh you know I, I like kirby a lot too of course he's the left-hander in this group um but i don't know i mean i, I don't think he's quite as electric as these, these other guys that we're talking about and obviously riley ferrell's electric but the question is will he be a starter or not um i wonder if they'll give him a chance to start next year you know with finnegan gone i don't feel like he is a a bullpen-only guy like like Nick Birdie. I think Farrell could start if they wanted him to, but um, I don't know. I, I don't have as good a feel for that, whether he's got a feel for a third pitch, um, whether they would want to extend him, or whether, hey, it's worked pretty well having him in the back of the bullpen, and, and that's valuable. Maybe they'll leave him in that role.
1: It's going to be really tough to know what to do with him next year because um, he's so good as a closer. And, but at the same time, Aaron... Is he better? I mean, I think he has a cleaner arm than Nick Birdie. But Nick Birdie dominated for two years as a closer, and he's not even a first-round pick, second-round pick this week, Nick Birdie. So if Riley Farrell wants to be a first-round pick, he either better start playing a position or start some games, have some starting history like Nick Howard, you know, who started last year. We didn't even mention how good Nick Howard is for Virginia. Nick Howard. (laughs) That guy's such a beast. It's ridiculous. He's kind of the – He's kind of been the difference for Virginia this year, Aaron. Because their offense wasn't what we thought it would be, they played so many close, low-scoring games, but they seem like they win them all because of that guy. He's phenomenal.
0: Yeah. He's special, and and then, and then with Mayberry. I mean, you know, we yes. talked about kind of the, the way Ole Miss with with with, um, with Weathersby is kind of that bridge guy. I mean, for Virginia, it's it's Mayberry, and he was great in the first game against Maryland to kind of settle that game down and give the, the Cavs a chance to win. They didn't win, but uh, he's been like that all year and really throughout his career. Uh, a little bit of funk from the right side. It's not big stuff, but uh, a competitor and a very valuable piece. Um, they can shorten games there. Then they've got options in depth, and, and Howard is special. There's some great closers. You, you look around this field. My Unreal. goodness. With Howard, with Howard, Birdie, and Farrell, those are the three biggest arms in the country.
1: It's unbelievable. I, I, I don't know why. I, and then – and oh, by the way, so Texas has, as we mentioned, Duke and Curtis. Um, Curtis is drafted pretty high. He's got a big arm. He's 94, yeah, 95. Big arm. How about Irvine has the guy who leads the country and saves? Was it Ben Moore? I Salem don't think Moore? he's –
0: Sam Moore, but I don't know if he's even pitched in the postseason. So I'm not sure what his status is right now, if, if he's just got a dead arm or if he's hurt or you just, even you know, what 83, it is. 80, he's 83-84, right? Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. He's not a big velocity guy. He's a splitter guy. That's his pitch. But they've gone to Mitch Burton more, more in, in the postseason. He's like he's been their guy at the back.
1: But just the clo- and, and certainly Vanderbilt uh, has used multiple closers. Their closer is now starting. And Carson Fulmer. Their closer became their number one starter, um, or at least their number two starter over the course of the year. But Vanderbilt has tons of options and they have Adam Ravenel who they kind of have used as like yeah. an, almost like a movement of truth guy, right, Aaron?
0: Yeah, I think so at this point. I mean that's talking about a guy who's really um, put it together, you know, and, and been able to harness his stuff after a couple of years, like Laxer. Ravenel and Laxer are very similar to me. They have similar stuff. Similar velocity um, they 'll both be kind of sit ninety three or so and touch a little better than that, and they both have sliders with with some depth they 're kind of eighty eighty two you know maybe eighty three eighty four I mean they both have good stuff on the right side both guys were kind of wandering through the wilderness for two years would show you flashes but could never quite harness it and now here they are as juniors credit these coaching staffs for developing those guys credit the players for you know sticking with it but now they're key parts of omaha teams and that's a great success story uh, for for anyone who thinks players don't get better in college baseball exactly. look at those two guys
1: exactly player development it actually happens um at the yeah, I don't even want to go on that tangent. And then, like you mentioned, I mean, I, I thought it was key that you mentioned you know, Ole Miss, Boyd Laxer, Greenwood, and Weathersby. They've got three guys who they have a high level of trust in. Again, a coaching staff that, in my mind, has just done a great job this year. I mean, uh, I really thought that there was going to be a lot of heat on Mike Bianco this year. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the way they finished last year, you'd watch their Thursday SEC games and there'd be nobody in the ballpark. And, boy, I mean, they respond to that pressure. And to, the, to what an answer in a rivalry with Mississippi State getting all the way to the finals last year. For Ole Miss to come back the next year and go to Omaha, pretty big answer in terms of the rivalry and being, yeah. you know, to, to to match your biggest in-state rival like that. And a pretty great statement for the uh, Magnolia State of the, of the quality and the passion for college baseball there. Uh, obviously pretty special, the traditions those two programs have. So, Aaron, no doubt. Aaron uh, – the, the part that we've all been waiting for. We got to make picks here. Now my preseason national champion, she gone. Florida State, long gone. Didn't even win a game <laughs> in the postseason. <laughs> so oh. trombone for the for the for John Manuel's picks. Um, your preseason pick was Virginia. Are you sticking with the Cavaliers? Are they still your pick? I, I have to presume. Heck that they yeah. Are-
0: <laughs> Heck yeah, they're my pick. I I love the Cavs right now. I just uh, you know, and, and it's like I wrote on, on on Monday. It's not often that the best team is also playing its best heading into the postseason. And certainly that was last year. You know, you saw North Carolina up close in that regional. It was a – tooth-and-nail fight just to survive to yep. get through the, the regional. And then in the Super, it was another, you know, they didn't play very well, and they still beat South Carolina. They were talented, and they had a lot of toughness, but they, they clearly were not peaking heading into Omaha. And the same is true if you go back further. I feel like those floated Florida teams, yep. I don't think were really playing their very best baseball heading into Omaha. This Virginia team is playing its best, and it's the best team, and, and I like that rare combination. I agree.
1: I agree completely with you. I think Virginia is the prohibitive favorite here. Uh, I'm picking them in the Sunday bracket. Who's your pick in the Vanderbilt, Louisville, Irvine, Texas bracket here? And that's a tougher bracket to pick.
0: Yeah, uh, I think it is. I think it's very tough. Um, and I flip flopped and flip flopped, and I'm still stalling to buy myself some more time to make okay, a well, decision. Well, I'm going to pick. <laughs> what do you, I'm picking
1: Louisville. I, I think I think Louisville is the most complete team there. I do like Vanderbilt's. Um, I, I do like Vanderbilt's ability to – they're so complete, but I think Louisville's a little bit more complete, a little bit less good on the mound. But if they win that first game, uh, then I think everything kind of breaks for Vanderbilt in my mind uh, thereafter. I, I think – I mean, that's not for Vanderbilt, for Louisville. Louisville. So I'm picking Louisville. I just think they're a little bit more offensive than Vanderbilt. Um, you know, they, they've got a little bit more bigger bats that I trust. the The difference between Louisville and Vanderbilt is so slim – I just give a slight edge to Louisville, and I, and I and I'm with you. I just think all four of those teams are very closely bunched up, and it would not shock me if Texas won it. No, I think it'd be an upset if Irvine won it, but I don't put anything past Gillespie at all. So, if Irvine were to win it, um, you know, wouldn't win that side of the bracket, it wouldn't stun me at all. If I'm ranking the teams, I would go Virginia one. I actually think TCU is probably the second best team in the in the left in the series. I'd go then Louisville, Vanderbilt, Ole Miss. To me, that top five, and then Texas six, and I, you know, Irvine and, and Texas Tech are the most likely to go two in barbecue. That's how it sets up for me, Aaron. But I, I wasn't sure who you're picking in that Saturday bracket.
0: You know, I actually like Vanderbilt, and you talk reason. about yeah, and you talk about Louisville being an off, you know, maybe more offensive. I don't know. I mean, uh, especially lately, I feel like Vanderbilt's offense is again, peaking, you know, and they scored 12 runs in the last game against Stanford. They scored 11 runs in the first game against Stanford. They put up an 11 spot against Xavier. They put up seven first game against Oregon. I mean, they've been scoring runs here. Um, I I think their offense to me, just watching those guys, it passes the eye test right now. It feels like they have a lot of confidence offensively. I feel like they're executing and they're hitting for extra bases. Um, You know, I, I just, everyone talks about their arms. Of course, their arms are special. And that's the other thing. I mean, if you compare them to Louisville, um, I don't know if I trust Louisville's pitching as much, you know, kidston is good. Yeah. Kidston is good as a number two guy. Um, the competitor, you know, he's got a really good changeup. He's got a really good breaking ball. Um, but it's just not as dominant as, as Vanderbilt's guys are, and, and then Jared Rogers is a freshman. Again, he's good. You know, he beat Kentucky in that decisive game um, of the regional. But I, I just don't. I just don't have as much conviction in those guys as I do in, in Vanderbilt's guys or even um, Texas' guys. I mean, you know, Irvine is a different different story, I guess. Um, but I, overall, I, I, I just think I'm with you. I think hey, Texas could win this this bracket Irvine could wouldn't be surprised in either case because those are teams that are well suited for this ballpark but uh, I think Vander- Vanderbilt is the best team on that side and so uh, I-, I like the way they're playing and I'm going to take them
1: I guess uh, in my mind just seeing what Cal Quantrill was able to do for Stanford to Vanderbilt it feels like power arms can do mm. that to them and you know the yeah, rest they- of Stanford staff was a little more thummy, <laughs> a little less power even Marcus Brakeman Really seemed like he held Vanderbilt in check for a while uh, with a 90 mile an hour fastball. So uh, that's what made. I'm just trying to explain my. But, but boy, the, the difference between Vanderbilt and I think Vanderbilt over the course of a season is better. I also have the sneaking suspicion, Aaron, that they, like everything's coming up. American Athletic Conference. You know they had Blake Bortles be the first quarterback drafted in the draft. They have UConn go win a national championship in basketball. Um, you know, Louisville's in the Cowdell series, in their last year and only year in that league. Maybe everything comes up AAC for them as well. So that's kind of what, what like, if that's not logical though in any way, shape, or form. I
0: understand that. What what if the AAC wins a championship before the ACC, <laughs> and then I think Louisville. the ACC
1: would lay claim to uh, to Louisville's championship, whether they deser- whether it deserves it or not. So, um, which is kind of crazy. So. Um, Aaron, uh, anything else Caldwell Series related that you wanted to pass along? Because we do have this great preview coming up. Um, I'm very excited yeah. about our Caldwell Series preview. Uh, if you're on hand in Omaha, you can download, you can, uh, you can pick one up. We'll be handing them out free all over town. Or if you're not, you can download it at baseballamerica.com. And we also want to remind you that we are sponsored by TD Ameritrade. TD Ameritrade is honoring baseball, college baseball's top student athletes with the Fans Choice Award. Visit the College Home Run Derby Facebook page. To check out the nominees and to cast your vo- your vote. So, anything else you wanted to touch on before you head to TD Ameritrade, Aaron? I,
0: I don't think so. I mean, I, I think just to go back to what you said at the very beginning of the of the, the podcast, um, it's a fun field. I'm I'm excited about the all four opening round matchups. They all have intrigue for various reasons, um, and maybe checked. I. Yeah, and maybe I say that every year. I do feel like every year I'm like, oh wow, this field's great. This field's great. And and you know, maybe I just like college baseball, John. But this is <laughs> seems like a seems like a good field.
1: Maybe you just like college baseball. Why on earth would you do that? That's just crazy. <laughs> uh I think the last couple of weeks have shown people uh a good face forward for college baseball, Aaron. I feel like oh, the super boy. regionals and regionals were just great. And a lot of good stuff for college baseball and not a lot of emphasis on negative pitcher abuse or this kind of stuff. It was good. It was a good couple of weeks, don't you think? Yeah.
0: I thought regionals in particular uh, were loaded with drama and surprises. I thought this was a fantastic year for regionals and and supers uh, we had a few good games I wasn't quite as enthralled by a lot of the action in supers but but you know we talked about that that Fort Worth series as as, as a real standout um the Indiana regional the Bloomington
1: regional might have been yeah just for the way it ended the walk off the shock and just those two teams were legit uh really cool to see how offensive Stanford and Indiana were you know
0: yeah yeah, and and that was you know that's the other thing is we talk so much about how um, the BB core era is dominated by low-scoring games. It was neat to see some scoring in this in this postseason so far. You know, I, I liked seeing Lafayette and uh, and Ole Miss and Ole go Miss at slug it. Slug
1: it out, absolutely. Yeah, those games were a little bit sloppier maybe than some of the other ones, but it was good to see some offense. And boy, Aaron Brown again just uh, made Lupton Field look small. Um, so. The, the small ball has its place. And, boy, if you like that, you're going to see it in Omaha when you watch Texas. Yeah. fine. That game might take four hours and be two to one. But uh, but you're also going to see some offense. That Virginia – it feels like the Virginia-Ole Miss game has a chance to be really offensive um, yep. in a good way. Vanderbilt-Louisville has a chance to to really have some offense. I mean, Vanderbilt has seven guys with double-digit steals. You right. know, So there's a lot that could happen, a lot of different styles clashing out there different programs, a lot of quote-unquote new blood. I do think it sets up for a, for a great series. So, Aaron, you'll be there the whole time. Bring a lot of laundry, and uh, I'm jealous I won't be the whole time there with you. Uh, look forward to talking with you. I'm sure we'll do some hangouts during the College series. I'm not sure exactly what the schedule of that is, but I'm sure we'll do some because I like talking to you about college baseball. It's fun. Absolutely. All right, Fitzy, for Aaron Fitt, I'm John Manuel. I want to remind you, don't forget Baseball America's draft offer. The draft's over, but you can still get all the scouting reports and the draft database and the signing bonus information. Subscribe now and receive one extra month of access with any premium content subscription. BaseballAmerica.com slash subscribe to order. For Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. Until then, so long, everybody.
0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas?